Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler. We're back at it again. We talked about, uh, you know, training last time we met, Matt. We talked about why get equipped for biblical counseling, why it's helpful, how you could do it, <laughs> what biblical counseling was, etc. That was uh, a but, fun episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I did too. It's it's almost like uh, it's something I enjoy doing in general. Yeah, so. so we're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we wanted to talk today about health in the church, but more particular, right? We want to talk about what kind of health is a leader in a church meant to have, more specifically an elder or a pastor, right? Um, so why, why is that generally important, Matt? Yeah, I think there's several reasons uh, why knowing the type of leaders you're supposed to have is important. Um, I also think there's quite a few different angles that we can approach this from. One, as a man, I need to know what I need to be aspiring to. As a as an elder and as a pastor, I need to know what my qualifications are. Um, but if I'm just a church member and I'm looking for a church or maybe I'm in a church and I, maybe I have a complaint against an elder, I need to know what is it that he is called to do? What are his qualifications? And maybe my complaint is, um, not biblically accurate, um, or even a real biblical complaint, because I think sometimes, I don't know about you, Neil, but our feelings can uh, become God uh, in many ways and say, I don't like this person, or I don't like what that person did. Therefore, that person is disqualified or shouldn't be my leader. Uh, and I think we always want to go back to scripture and have scripture be our authority. Um, and so having these, uh, these characteristics are quite helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if we just take the context uh, of the writing, the pastoral epistles, right, which we know is First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, what we can, what we'll see is that these qualifications are utilized in similar but different ways as well. You know, like just to give some contextual background, when Titus gets sent to Crete, he's told to use these qualifications to appoint new elders specifically like they don't exist right you're planting churches and you're pointing elders in these church plants or these house churches right in ephesus where timothy is ministering uh, there's a different dynamic right like these are established places where um, false doctrine has infiltrated the context of the church Paul even names a couple of the guys, right? Alexander and Hymenaeus, right? And uh, he's warning against the false teaching. He's showing what the false teaching is. And he he's talking about how there's disorder going on between men and women in the context of the church and what they should do at the end of chapter two. And then in chapter three, he's really giving Timothy's, these Timothy these qualifications to be a litmus test for current elders and for future elders, right? Yeah. So T Timothy's charge is really to go church to church and assess the health of their leaders based on particular qualifications. And so this isn't just the qualifications you meet to become a pastor. 
but these are the qualifications you keep while being a pastor, right? And yeah. they are the qualifications that all men uh, should aspire to in the context of church with a right motive, you know? So that's just some contextual background. Well, why don't we read the text and then we'll just kind of, you know, wing it from there, chop it up a little bit from there. Do you want yeah. to read it, Matt? Sure. <clears throat> so first Timothy chapter three, starting in verse one, it is a trustworthy saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peace, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Mm. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we kind of, we we have these qualifications and I, I think you can break them down just for clarity's sake uh, into, into some bigger umbrellas, right? So there's this aspiration qualification, there's character qualifications, there's teaching qualifications, family qualifications, male and maturity. And then they kind of fall in um, at different points into into these main headings, right? So let's start with aspiration. Uh, what does it mean to aspire to this office of overseer? Neil, this is such an interesting Greek word, and I could nerd out to the max with it. Well, do diet nerd. I'm going to try to diet nerd it. But this <laughs> word epithumia um, is like desire or lust. Um, James uses it to talk about lust that leads to temptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So this is a powerful desire um, to be an overseer um, or to be in the office of overseer slash elder slash bishop slash shepherd, right. Um, used interchangeably. And so this aspiration, um, I think the text really makes it softer than it really is. But no, it's a desire. You must want this. Yeah. Um, you must desire to aspire or you must aspire to the office of overseer. You, you must desire the office of overseer, which is kind of counter to our culture, right? Because we always say, oh, man, you shouldn't want leadership. It should be put yeah. upon you, right? We know stories of John Knox, who was told yeah. that he was going to be the pastor and he like ran to his room and cried for three days, right? Um, because he didn't want that. And then he got basically convinced, convicted that that was what God has called him to. And he, he submitted. Um, so yeah, there has to be a level of desire for the task. Yeah. So, and I think it's, two things are important here one to understand what the task is right that you're you you want which will kind of shake out whether you have a righteous desire or an unrighteous one right so and, and then the other is man to trace your motive 
right? What What is your motive? Uh, I would say just as a general, the motive behind wanting to be a pastor or an elder or an overseer is godliness and service. Like that's the motive. I want to serve the people of God and, and be more like Jesus. Like <laughs> I want to be holy and I want to serve out of that holiness. Well, I think uh, that's, Peter, that's the good Peter paints the picture. I think Peter, Peter paints a picture, right? Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under um, right. compulsion and not uh, domineering, right? Right. Uh, be a manipulating, good right? Yeah, manipulating. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you desire to feed the sheep of the Lord and protect them from false doctrine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feed so, them good doctrine, protect them from false doctrine. Yeah. So, when we talk about aspiring to something, we we need to under, understand what the noble work is, <laughs> you know. So let's we're both pastors, right? So uh, are you still a pastor? Just to make I sure, haven't been fired yet. Praise God! Uh, <laughs> you might after this podcast. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what the office is like, because it's not rainbows and unicorns <laughs> by yeah. any measure, right? It's a hard laborious work neil that is you know that is such a good point and it's something i have been considering these qualifications are a protector or protection for the man of god who aspires to this office because you're exactly right it is a hard work um when you think about shepherding you realize it's long hours it is um, great effort. It's going to be tons of criticism, not only from outside, but also greatly from inside. Um, Satan is roaring, seeking to devour the shepherd, um, because if he can take a shepherd out, he can take the whole flock in many ways. He can open the flock up to attack. He can derail as much of the work of the Lord that he can. So this is um, honestly something that I think all of us men should should meditate on it as, you know, this is the protection for us uh, that that these qualifications are to keep us from collapsing under the heavy burden of pastoral ministry. And and Neil, I'd also don't want to go too far on the other side and be like, oh, it's the worst thing ever. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Anything like that. But at the same time, it's a great joy. It's a great uh, honor. It's a good work. Um, but in many ways it is, it's, it's sometimes just as hard, if not harder than serving in the military at wartime, um, and, and watching that. So I don't know if that's been your experience, but that definitely has been mine. Yeah. I think there are high highs and low lows often, you know, when there's sin, because that's what we're, you know, pastors were characterized, you know, 150 years ago as soul physicians. Right. Yeah. And when we're dealing with sin, it gets messy. Right. Yeah. That's right. To maintain a healthy culture of correction is means confrontation. It means hard conversations. You see people sinning against each other. You have to help them to navigate. You have to be a man who makes peace when there's chaos around you. You are (laughs) and we're not sinless. (laughs) And we're not sinless, right? That's why, you know, many have said like the character or the godly character of your lead leaders projects godly character in the church right um or it, it uh what's it cultivates godly character in the church 
And so that's like you said, this, these qualifications are this protector thing. So, uh, you know, God doesn't say this is just a hard work. He says it's a noble one and noble things are hard things, right? They are, they're selfish. So self, I said the wrong word, selfless things, right? And Jesus paints this, um, paints this picture by giving us an image of servant leadership, of counting others as more significant than yourselves, of of foot washing and of the first being last and the last being first. And, and you know, all of these different conversations Jesus has in the gospels, he, he really gives us the ultimate picture of what shepherding looks like. He, that's why he is, he is known as what Matt, well, real quick, I just realized aspire is not epithumia. It is something else. It's orgatai, and I messed that up. So I just wanted to correct that real quick. So it's I'm your desire you is that your desire is the epithumia for the good work, not the aspiration. So let's just clear that up real clear quick. Clear that up. So what it the get back to my question though? Yeah, like, sorry about that. What is Jesus known as in the in the shepherd realm? He's known the as good what? shepherd, the good shepherd. That's right. that's right. The perfect, sinless shepherd, the example of shepherding for every other what I would call an under shepherd, which is what an elder is. You know, um, I, I love that you said, you know, if you look back to Acts 20, for instance, as Paul is meeting with the elders of Ephesus and Miletus, and he's giving them his like parting words. He's saying goodbye. He's not going to go back to Ephesus after this point. He sends Timothy later, but he doesn't himself go back. Um, he says he uses all three terms in that in that uh, exchange. Uh, the the word we get overseer from or bishop. That's where they'll translate overseer into bishop. Like your King yeah. James Bible, I believe, still uses that word. Um, the uh, uh, he says elder presbyteros, right? Yeah. And then he also uses the word shepherd. This is where we get pastor from. And so these words are interchangeable words. But what it's all meant to do is to point your mind back to the perfect example of shepherd in Christ, and then our shepherding falls under his ultimate shepherding of his church at large in a That's local right. context. Right. So yeah, I think it would be fair to say an under shepherd. Yeah. This is an under shepherd role uh, under the good shepherd. And so it is important that we understand what the noble work is that you may or may not be aspiring to. And, and before we get into these character qualifications next, I just want to make this this uh, rocks throw across the pond comment. Every man in the church, I believe, should aspire to this work. This doesn't mean you're a vocational pastor who is paid by the church, but it means that you are aspiring to exhibit this kind of character and then lead out of godliness and serve out of godliness. I think that should be an aspiration of every man uh, in the in the context of a local church in general. What are some bad you know, motives for this, though? 
Yeah. So I think going real quick, going back to your statement, all men should aspire to this, right? Using the proper Greek term for aspire uh, means to, to stretch out, to reach forward to, to grasp, right? So you're, you're, mm -hmm. you're leaning into. That does not mean that you are trying to become an elder. It just mm -hmm. means you're trying to meet these qualifications. Um, you're trying to live up to this standard yes. of what a good overseer looks like. You know, that doesn't mean that God has gifted you even to be an elder or given you the ability to do it. So, right. um, so there's aspire that. Aspire to the character. Yeah, aspire to the character, I think, is a good way to say that. So uh, going back to your question, you know, what are some some wrong motives? Well, um, as we go through the character list, you'll see a uh, love of money is a disqualifier. Right. And so a lot of folks do it for money, for esteem, um, for uh, vanity, right, for for look at me, give me a platform. Um, some say they can't do anything else. And so that's what <laughs> that's what they're going to try to do. Um, their family has always done it. Right. My dad was a pastor, so I'll be a pastor and my son will be a pastor. Right. Yeah. Like a um, family business, <laughs> family business. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, a desire to help people could also be a bad motive. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a savior complex and you get into pastoral ministry to save everyone, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. And so there's that. Yeah. I, I would add to like a, a desire for power or platform yeah. would be an ungodly motive as well. So really, when you when you assess the motivation of your heart, really think about two categories. Um, you're called to serve and lead from that service. And you're called to be holy as our God is holy, right? To be godly. And so let that take root in your heart and then see what see what calling God places on your life right from there. So these qualifications are ones that you can ready yourself for or aspire to today. And then if a calling occurs in the future, you know, you know, at least my character for a long period of time has matched up with what God's word says for me, even to entertain the idea of walking out in this calling. Yeah. So yeah. then we go, we go into verse two, which says an overseer therefore must be above reproach. What does that mean? I don't think our culture today has a good understanding of uh, being above reproach in general. Yeah, um, some some of BDAG and, and some of those uh, lexicons say things like not open to attack, not controllable by accusation, uh, above criticism. Uh, what, did, what else did you find, Neil? Yeah, you know... And the I don't think the lexicon would agree, but I think like practically what this can look like is um, when accusations occur, they are not able to stick because yep. your character is godly mm -hmm. and you are walking in righteousness actively. Um, so, Have yeah, I can't, tried some can't of stick that, like, on you. Windshield spray that keeps yeah. the rain from it's like a, a repellent. Yeah, right. like wax on the car paint, right? Like it wax makes on the, the water paint. beat up and roll off. Right. It does. Yeah, it won't stick. So it's not that there aren't accusations. 
it's not that there's not going to be um, attacks, but it's that those won't stick, right? So if someone accuses so-and-so of stepping outside their marriage, you you say, oh, that's not, even, I can't even imagine that being a, a reality, right? Yeah. And you could have to investigate it and you would be like, man, he's above reproach. There's no, you <laughs> yeah. know, or if someone said, yeah, so that pastor is a liar, everyone should be shocked to hear that accusation. It shouldn't be like, oh yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, I've had that suspicion too. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I did a podcast fail. I coughed. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> and then we go into the husband of one wife. Now, there are four views for this that churches hold. One view is this means that the elder must be married. I don't think I that's yeah. I don't think that's what the text is arguing. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Yeah, right. <laughs> or Timothy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um uh it, it, another view would be that this just means you can't be a polygamist. Um yeah. I don't personally, that's not the view that I I take. Um, but I can understand the argument there. The third view would be that this man is never divorced ever and he's only been married to one woman for the the context of his life um i can definitely sympathize and understand where that comes into play or like why where that that would be a founded argument you know and then the fourth view is that the the man is if he is married he is faithful to this one woman in a covenantal monogamous relationship um resisting you know breaking up breaking that covenant right actively resisting breaking that covenant and there's a lot of practical implications that flush out of there like sexual morale like is this man sexually immoral right that would disqualify him because he's not being faithful to his covenant with the woman uh and so on and so forth right um but that's personally that's the position i take because I don't think a divorce per se, I think some divorces, I think situation matters, but I don't think a divorce in and of itself disqualifies a man from the office of elder. And let me go into why I believe that. Um, I believe that there are cases, two cases in scripture that warrant what I would call a biblical divorce. Uh, I wish I had like sound buttons on our thing. Like, ah, you know, <laughs> uh, here, here's why Matthew 19, Jesus says that unless a man divorces his wife because of sexual immorality, then, you know, basically I prohibit divorce because this was not the design of God. That's my simplified version of Matthew 19. So there's a, there is a situation that can warrant divorce it doesn't necessitate divorce but it can warrant a biblical divorce the other warrant of biblical divorce we get from um first uh, corinthians 7 which talks about abandonment being married to an unbeliever uh to the point where the unbeliever just abandons the their spouse right and that is another case where it's made by Paul that warrants a biblical divorce. So I think personally, biblical divorces warrant biblical marriages, right? Um, so uh, logically thinking now. 
So I think there are two cases, situations matter, where a man and a woman may happen to be divorced. The man may happen to have been remarried. And then in the context of his marriage to a believer is walking faithfully in his covenant. Matt, you want to speak to that or you think I'm crazy? No, I think I think you, you're pretty accurate. I would say there's even shades of nuance that can be applied even in each of those four major positions. Of course. Um, yeah. and, and one of them is if you just take the text itself, uh, it literally says one woman man. Correct. So if all you had was just this text from Timothy and you heard one woman man, that means that the man cannot marry a wife that is not a virgin because that's considered adultery. Um, that means that man can never have been with any other woman in his entire life. Right. So that, that pretty much disqualifies, I would say. Uh, 99% of, of the pastors sure. we have, you know, in the church today. Um, but uh, we can I add the, one more? Yeah, can I it. add one more? It, it would also mean that, regardless of whether that man was a believer or an unbeliever at right. the time, it is still disqualifying for him. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so that does not seem to be uh, what Paul says because he has written in other places, like Neil brought up. Um, and so I kind of fall more on the polygamy side just because some of the church fathers indicated that. Um, but I do think there's a wisdom issue here is, is this a faithful husband to their spouse? Uh, and, and that, and I would say in the context of being a believer in particular, um, because how can we bind an unbeliever to the standard of scripture um, before their conversion. I just, I don't right. see that. That's um, called a Pharisee. Think, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think there's that. I also think um, the elders are responsible to determine um, what this looks like, uh, you know, to examine. So, you know, full disclosure, I have been divorced um, and I brought it to my elders. I explained the situation. My elders examined it. Um, it it wasn't because of polygamy. It was not because of polygamy. Okay, good. I, did, I did grow up in Africa um, <laughs> where you can have second wives, it's true, um, but that was not um, the cause. And so when I did bring it to the elders, the elders examined the divorce and they said it was based on biblical grounds. Um, and, and therefore, they felt that I was qualified for being an elder. And so um, I, I know how touchy this can be especially yeah, when contentious contentious yeah uh and i and also know that because church discipline is not is is not practiced well or perfectly in the church in america it's really hard to determine is this person um, abandoning the spouse as an unbeliever and now treated like an unbeliever therefore you are not bound because the other one abandoned the marriage right so there's there's a lot of complexity to this but I think the principle that we want to pursue is, does this person love his wife with everything that's in him? I like, I like your covenantal language. Um, and it's not pursuing relationships with women outside of his wife. Yep. Um, because if someone were to throw an accusation, would it stick? 
right? Because that's what's going on in a lot of our culture today. One, pastors have been failing here, but also I think, um, or have disqualified themselves through this, but I think also a lot of accusations are thrown at pastors. Um, and so being a one woman man is going to be important. Yeah. So the next one we got is self-controlled, which uh, again, man, this is so key. And then there are some uh, other qualifications that kind of, I would say, stack under this one. So this is, this is the qualification we are to pursue. And there are other qualifications or disqualifiers we need to avoid, right? So pursuing being self-controlled means that you are as a believer are controlled by the spirit of God and not controlled by your flesh. Right. And so, and kind of how that falls out from there would be the excessive drinker or the bullying, um, the greediness or the, and the quarrelsome um, categories, right? Those are areas we need to avoid um, because for instance, you take being a drunkard, right? We are, we need to avoid it because that if we are inebriated, um, and that can also mean drugs, right? If we're inebriated by something, then we are unable to be controlled by the spirit because we are controlled through inebriation to the flesh, right? Um, if we are un, if we don't avoid abusing our authority or being a bully or domineering, um, what happens is we begin to manipulate the people we're meant to care for. If we are greedy, <laughs> that means that our treasure is not of heaven but of this earth. So we avoid being greedy so that our treasure of a of a pastor's heart, is Jesus, right? Is is again, it goes back to this controlled by the spirit of God means that the flesh is being uh put at bay, right? So that would be the the I guess the simplest way I could carve that one out. Would you add anything to that? Uh one uh one lexicon said has a halter on himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought good. that was a that was a good one. Kind of pulling and not, not a halter top. Not a halter, not a halter top. top. That's correct. Yeah, not like a halter <laughs> on a horse. Yeah, you would you would pull when the horse gets out of control. Yeah, yeah you got reins. Yeah, <laughs> you, yep. you can reined in. Your passions have been reined in. Right. So then we got sensible, or what's your translation say? Sensible. Okay. How would you carve that out? Um, moderate. And once again, another lexicon said, "Let one's mind guide one's body." So you're not taken to flights of fancy, um, being blown every way of every direction. Um, But yeah, being moderate, being Mm, being guided by your mind, not your body. I I really like that explanation. Yeah, I think that is you're you're using logic and wisdom to navigate a scenario versus a passion or uh, an emotional, you know, response, reactive response, right? Yeah. Um, then we go into respectable. And the, the kind of the way that I, I like to communicate this one is when people are approaching you, if you are a respectable person, they approach you with delight in their 
in their heart versus them wanting to navigate around you because you're uh, you're uh, not respectable um, and they don't have any joy of dealing with you at all, right? So why is that so important for a pastor to be an approachable, respectable man? Um, I, I say also appropriate. Um, yeah. So knowing when to say things, when not to say things. Sure. Uh, because that's, I mean, that's what pastors do. We, we deal with the flock and if the flock is uncomfortable with us, it will make it much harder to actually have, um, any kind of spiritual impact on those that we're, we're to care for. Yeah, Absolutely. Then we move into hospitable, the model of biblical hospitality in the church. It, it begins with the leadership of the church. They are to model it and instruct it. So what does hospitable mean? It means that we are open to the, our homes are open to the needs of others. Um, and in the historic, you know, acts, acts model of churches, right? The elders often open their home up to have the church service there where the the uh, congreg congregants would assemble to their homes. And so this takes on a whole nother dynamic in that early church model. So as, as we think about where we are today, most churches are, you know, they have gathering spaces where the congregation assembles to this larger gathering, right? So what does this mean, right, practically for us today is we need to be the first people to have others into our home, to be caring for others in the context of our home, to be loving and ministering people who are serving the saints, and then take that model from your home and apply it in the context of that larger assembly. And so a, hospi a hospitable man is going to go it, it's going to be uh synergized between his home and your gathering space if those things are separate uh so that's a that's a key uh cultural thing for the church and it begins with what your character looks like uh, <clears throat> and then we we already talked about the the greediness and the drunkenness and the bullying right but i want to i want to address uh gentleness real quick and quarrel and not quarrelsome uh, before we get into kind of the teaching larger category. So gentleness, I think, means that you are clear headed uh, about sin and righteousness. You're not judgmental or pharisaical. You don't sit and shame people, but you correct with a spirit of gentleness to help people become more like Christ. There. You know, I have seen men wield the truth of God like a cleaver, right? <laughs> like like a sledgehammer. And all and all they end up doing is hurting people, right? So I think gentleness takes on this idea of wielding the word of God with a scalpel, uh, where we are surgical in our approach. And and to do that means that you are level-headed, you're clear-headed. So that you can actually help somebody. What what would you add to that? I say considerate. Um, so gracious, forbearing, uh, yeah. putting up with putting up with those who 
are not really deserving of being put up with. Sure, sure. Yeah, so for what purpose, right? To to help them. Right. Like you can't if you're not willing to be in the mess and in the trenches with people, you should get out of the business of shepherding or you should not get into the business of shepherding, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then with the not quarrelsome uh, qualification, you know, that literally means that you're not contentious. You're not a contentious man. Uh, you're a unifying factor. And I would add, you know, to think about the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus kind of teaches on this idea uh, of peacemaking. So the being quarrelsome would be kind of the opposite of being a peacemaker. Uh, you're arguing, you're uh, anger, you're angry in your approach. Often you, you have an incessant need to be right and the way you're right is really wrong and sinful, um, versus causing peace to occur in the context of a church. Um, so that, that qualification is so key. So let's shift over now to the skill category, right? Able to teach. What does that mean, Matt? Yeah, able to teach. Um, you have the ability to instruct doctrine. Um, and, you know, you pointed out to me earlier that Titus um, talks about exactly what that looks like, like in Titus chapter one, verse nine. Um, and I'm going to read it since I'm there. Yeah, go for it. It says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. So that he will be able, so here's that same word again, both to exhort in sound doctrine and to reprove those who contradict it. All right. So we have a twofold um, purpose, the ability to exhort sound doctrine, to uh, make sound doctrine attractive, if you want to use that language, to be convincing. Um, and then at the same time, reprove um, those who contradict it or who contradict it. Yeah. Yeah. Refute and uh, instruct and yep. it takes skill to do that so what that doesn't mean because i think a lot of people have a wrong expectation about ability to teach they often think well i don't have the charisma to teach or i don't have the you know i don't know i'm not i'm not <laughs> bringing in large crowds of people or whatever yeah that's yeah. not that's not what paul's talking about and I think also you would add um, not also having to teach every Sunday um, or doing the role of teacher. Yeah. Because I think that can be confusing. So why should this person be an elder? He's not teaching anything. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that, that's not what he's saying. That might look practically in your church like you have an elder who leads a community group. You have an elder who teaches some time in the pulpit. You have an elder who teaches a Sunday school class, right? Yeah. Uh, or an elder who has a membership interview with someone where he's talking about the confession that your churches hold. And is he able to articulate that confession in a simple manner and uh, know when someone is bringing in a false doctrine and able to, because of the sound doctrine he holds to, uh, expose what is an error and help people to grow into uh, into a right doctrine. Um, he, he has that ability, you know, that 
Well, I love that you pointed out. It doesn't mean you're preaching every Sunday or even preaching at all. That doesn't, that's not what that, that text literally means. Um, so uh, it's, it's super helpful because I think so many people have kind of a wrong expectation of that, that, uh, qualification. All right. So and if someone is skillful to teach, that doesn't mean they're qualified to be a pastor, elder, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you are going to have to use it or going to be made to use it or able yeah, to so use it. Then let's jump to the next category, because I think this addresses this. Um, there's a specific category or qualification given that this is for males. This Ooh. is an office for men, uh, not women. Um, there are many women who are skilled teachers able to do it, but in the context of leadership in the church, the headship of the church, they're not qualified for that. And why is that, why is that an important distinction? Well, I think one reason is because women are gifted to teach, right? So, so we know just from experience that women can teach and women teach well, uh, there's phenomenal women who teach amazing, uh, amazingly in, in, in a good, you know, biblical solid way. Um, yeah. But the Lord in his wisdom has ordained his home, his church to be this way. He, he said, this is how it should be. Uh, and so he, he chose to have men lead um, uh, because I think it's one, a reflection of the creation order. I think it's continued on into marriage. Uh, and I think it's also the way he has set up um, the church. And as we look at that, I also think it forces men to step up because we are so inclined to passivity. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a level of that. So just because someone is gifted, even a man who's gifted in teaching does not automatically mean he is qualified to be an elder pastor preacher. There are some phenomenal pastors or preachers, if you want to use that language, uh, quotation marks, who I would not let in my pulpit. <laughs> their yeah. doctrine is sound they're phenomenal communicators but their character has failed and therefore they should not be in the pulpit so uh, in the same way we want to be aware that even though we may be gifted the lord may have a different position place or the lord does have a different position place for us depending on um, circumstances etc and so um I think it's very clear in scripture that men are to be elders. Elders are to be men. Excuse me. The other way elders are to be men. Um, and there's just no way around that. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard fast in the script, in the, in the whole context of God's word. Um, many people will bring in arguments uh, going back to the old Testament where this is a different case and um, there's still Deborah. distinctions. Yeah, look at Deborah. She was a she was a lead, a civil leader, and then also a prophet. And then some places in the New Testament it says women are prophesying in the church, right? And like, how do we make sense of all that? Well, when we look at the structure, the organization, and the first ladies to see Jesus after resurrection. Yeah, but when we look at the organizational structure provided to the church for how it is meant to promote health and godliness, um, there are hard, fast 
regulations applied not to take from people, but to cause human flourishing. And, yeah. and I think that's the lens we have to approach the design of God. It's not in, hey, this church is because the way they're doing it, they're trying to rob me of my giftings. No, they're, they want you to walk out your giftings in the appropriate context that God has given for those things to occur. So we would be in glad submission to his design for us, which results only in the increased flourishing and joy. You know, yeah. when we when we rebel against that, there are consequences um, that follow. And uh, and I, I remember being in school, hearing one lady say, well, does it have to have consequence? And I said, it always has consequence when we rebel against God's good design. Always. Yeah. And you may not see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. So, so that takes that category. When we got family and maturity as our last two key areas. Um, for the family, it says that this man, he must manage his his own household competently or well and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church or God, the household of God? Um, I, my, my comment on this, and I'll let you roll, Matt, uh, is this, the home friend is the proving ground of a man's leadership potential in the context of a church. Your home is where you walk these things out. And if it translates in the future because of calling into the context of a church, you're ready because you've been practicing in your home. Um, if you're not practicing in your home, you will cause disarray and dysfunction in God's church. Yeah. Um, you know, this is such a, another one of those areas where function really gets uh, sticky or complicated, right? Yeah. So what does it mean to manage your home? Well, what does it mean that your children are in submission with all dignity? Does that mean that you, your children, um, they line up by height, they walk into church perfectly dressed with their Bibles, ready to take notes. They'd never kick off their shoes and run around, right? Because if if that's what that means, then I think many of us may be uh, disqualified because, yeah. um, but it means, are we correcting our children? Are we leading them in obedience? Are we disciplining them appropriately? Um, I do think it's it would be wise if, if I, as a pastor, let's say my children um, leave the faith, that the elders sit down and examine my life to see if maybe there was something on my end that led to that rebelliousness or or anything like that. And um, But I think generally we would say that once they're out of the home, they're no longer part of your household in that sense. Um but leading your household well and then having your children in submission, I think you're exactly right about it shows our character. It shows your ability um, and it is sanctifying, but I would say it's not perfection. Um, yeah. It's not sinlessness. It's are you leading them as Christ has led the church? Are you dying for your family? Are you um, are you the type of husband and man um, that your family wants to follow, or are you domineering, um, harsh, 
those kind of things. And um, so one area that I've, I personally have been struggling with is, well, what if you have a spouse uh, that's in rebellion? Does that mean you're disqualified? You know, what does that look like? And I would say if it's a, a, a new thing or a recent thing, there may be a, a, a point to step down and be evaluated um, and, and see whether or not you are responding. Plus, part of this is if I'm an elder and my wife is in rebellion, it's going to be very hard for me to, to pastor um, right. because I will have all these concerns uh, maybe I'll even look at the ca- the counseling that I'm doing or the shepherding that I'm doing. I may look at it from the lens of my own struggle, mm-hmm. uh, which may cause even more damage in the long run. And so um, we're, we're not talking perfection here. We're not talking um, lockstep marches, um, but we are talking about evidence of being a good leader. Yeah. Yeah. And remember that you're not able to save your children. Like you don't, or your wife, or your wife. You're not, you don't have that. You don't have power over life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Um, But what you can do is you can lead well. You can shepherd your family's hearts well. And uh, that means with dignity, which means that you're not shaming them into submission. Yeah. You are prom- propelling them or putting them in. I, I like the uh, idea of putting your family in the right pasture. You know, yeah. <clears throat> you want a, a good pasture is going to nourish your family. And that's what you need to be actively assessing and reassessing in your home and putting your kids and your bride in the right context for nourishment yeah. and not leading them into a wilderness where there is no life. Um and and the same that that plays over into when you're pastoring in a church, you're putting your people in the right pastures um, for nourishment and health, <clears throat> not shaming them to go wherever you want them to go. So then we get ma- the maturity kind of category. <clears throat> he says uh, that he must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil, uh, and you know, I'll just go further. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and the devil's snare or trap. So uh, Paul doesn't give us what constitutes a new convert versus what constitutes a mature convert, right? But here's what we know. Proven character happens over time. Yeah. It, 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 that could be five years that could be 10 years that could mean old people that could mean whatever you know that you assess an individual about of their character over the course of a period of time so like say you have a man who is disqualified himself in let's say pornography right he's not being a one woman man he's not controlling himself He's he's stuck in serving his flesh. He gets clean, right? He he is reconciled. Um, just because he's immediately reconciled doesn't mean he's now qualified to be an elder. We want to see a period of time where this man is walking in righteousness over a, a length of time 
to assess him for these kind of qualifications. So character is proven over the course of time. Um, and knowledge is applied wisely over the course of time. I would also add, you know, Proverbs warns us about knowledge puffing us up, right? Conceding us, right? Uh, we become conceited with the more information we have, more things we know. So like when I talk with a guy, say this is common with like our community, we're like reformed soteriology and guys come into uh, belief of what the Bible teaches about salvation. And they believe things like total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, uh, perseverance of the saints. And they become like the, uh, the, the, the charging up the hill with this doctrine, right? Uh, we call it the cage stage. Um, what happens is when they're all that knowledge is often they are become repulsive to the people around them. And so um, you want to see them settle out, settle in and watch how they minister God's word to people with a proven character that is helpful and not hurt, harmful or hurt, hurtful. Um, and then we have this uh, last one of the reputation among outsiders. I think very simply uh, we could say, uh, especially for like lay elders, right, who are working in different vocations. Um, now, unbelievers may not view you positively when they know you are a believer, but what are your character traits amongst the outsiders of the faith? Is it your, he works hard and pursues excellence and adds value to our context? Uh, is it this guy, when I go to the park, I see him yelling and screaming at his kids all the time, <laughs> like, uh, you know, around unbelievers, or maybe you coach a, your kid's soccer team, right. And you're just the, on the outside screaming at the ref, and, <laughs> you know, so the, those are the kind of things we're, we're thinking about. Um, are you winsome with the people around you, uh, in your neighborhood and in your community and in your city? Um, so that you can promote the gospel faithfully, or are you are people rejecting the gospel because because you you taste bad, <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, um, so would you add anything in closing, Matt? Yeah, I would add just real quick. Um, not a new convert could also be not newly planted, um, and it just really speaks to me because we have some fruit trees on our property, and they're about a year, two years old. And um, some of them the first year have produced quite a bit of fruit. Uh, and then they dry up and die and get blown away, right? They, they turn into tumbleweeds. And so it, it takes time to know if this fruit tree is going to stick. And so we want to do the same thing with um, people that are, are potential elders. We want to make sure that their faith sticks if you if you want to use that language and then good reputation. This is, this is tricky because unbelievers don't have the same um, worldview that we do. And so more and more as society hates, we're going to see um, maybe less good reputation. So you may stand for the faith and they don't like it. And so we just have to be aware of what the accusation is. Like if they're lazy, 
that's probably something that we could all agree is not a helpful thing for an elder. Um, that's not above reproach. But if they are, if they don't like, uh, maybe if they disagree with homosexual marriage or they disagree with uh, transitions for young teens, that's probably someone that we're not going to be consider that a bad thing for. Right. So, you know, the, the standard is not the outsider. The standard is the word. Um, so what does the church uh, doctrine, the, the Bible, what does the Bible say? Uh, so just because a unbeliever doesn't like someone that you know, doesn't like their reputation, that doesn't necessarily mean what is going on here. So uh, those would just be a few things I would add, Neil. Yeah, First Peter 2 talks about it like this, um, when evildoer or when outsiders slander you as an evildoer, they will see your good works and glorify God the day that he visits, right? So um, that's what we're talking about. Like, what are your works? Are they good and fruitful? Not um, are they analyzing your doctrine? Because <laughs> how would they know, right? Or their, your worldview, um, it's how you conduct yourself. It goes again towards your character. So guys, we really wanted to talk about leadership because um, our churches today are in a crisis of leadership. And so if you're a man listening to this podcast, man, I would I would encourage you to look at these qualifications from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and look at your life. Talk with your wife. What does she see? Um, bring her into this, aspire to godly character. And man, if God calls you into this kind of role, man, you can go with confidence that you meet the qualifications faithfully, um, but let your heart be captivated by holiness and, and right doctrine. Uh, Cause that is what will, will matter regardless of position. So, guys, we thank you for listening to the Gospel Lifeline podcast. Until next time, Neil and Matt, we out. <laughs>